Welcome to Podcastica Patristica, in the third of our mini-episodes. Today, I'll be talking a little bit about the Nicene Creed, the most well-known and universally respected of all Christian statements of belief. C.S. Lewis's most famous book is probably the little volume he wrote called Mere Christianity. In that book, Lewis tried to get at the essence of Christianity, the thing that bound all Christians from all times and in all places together to a common, unified faith. That's what the mere in the book's title means. Lewis's book stands in a long, robust tradition of theologians attempting to discern what the core of the Christian faith is, what cannot be changed to suit new environments, and that question is still a live one today. As we engage a new world and a new culture, as global political shifts and groundswells of philosophy change rapidly, we need to know what aspects of our faith are non-negotiable and which are just accretions that we've accumulated over time. For most people who think about and give answers to this question, the creed from the Council of Nicaea in 325 CE plays a rather prominent role. It's almost as if today, in some circles, the very definition of Orthodox Christianity is the text of the Nicene Creed. We talked in our last episode about the history and backstory of the Nicene Creed, but let's take a moment and examine the Creed itself. First, let me read it for you in full. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from the Father, only begotten, that is, from the substance of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things came into being, things in heaven and things on earth who because of us men and because of our salvation came down and became incarnate and became man, and suffered and rose again on the third day and ascended to the heavens and will come to judge the living and the dead and in the Holy Spirit. But as for those who say there was when he was not and before being born he was not and that he came into existence out of nothing or who assert that the Son of God is a different hypostasis or substance or created, or is subject to alteration or change, these the Catholic and Apostolic Church anathematizes. With what little time I have left, I want to take you on a tour of this stunning little piece of theology, pointing out aspects of the landscape that you might have missed with just a casual glance. First of all, notice that the creed begins by affirming monotheism. It reads, quote, 
We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible. Just like the Arians, who were eventually rejected by this creed, the Orthodox Church affirms God's oneness. And also, just like the Arians, this one God is God the Father. The Nicene Creed certainly did not intend to denigrate the Father in any way. Now the creed gets to go where it's been intending to go all along, Christology. It reads, quote, And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, unquote. These three titles all point to one person, and are all rather commonplace. But it's interesting to note that the first, one Lord, is a quote from Paul. 1 Corinthians 8.6 reads, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. The pattern of one God, the Father, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, attempts to stick as closely to biblical language for God as possible. But the really new, important part is the next line. It reads, Begotten from the Father, only begotten, that is, from the substance of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. That's a string of technical phrases and dense writing, but let's unpack it together. It begins with the assertion that Jesus is, quote, begotten from the Father, the only begotten. That's more biblical language, especially from John 3.16, but the creed this time explains what exactly they think the biblical language means. Jesus is the only begotten, that is, from the substance of the Father. This is where the creed really has a bite, where it digs right down to the issues over which the controversy raged. The Arians read and believed in the same Bible that the Orthodox Christians did, and so they didn't have a problem with the biblical word only begotten, but they did reject the soon-to-be-Orthodox interpretation of that word. To the Arians, from the substance of the Father made God sound like a physical, material being, as if the Son was a broken-off piece of the Father. But that's not what the Orthodox Church meant by from the substance of the Father. To the framers of the Nicene Creed, this phrase was meant to insist that Jesus was just as divine as God the Father. They still believed that the Son was dependent on and under the authority of the Father, since Jesus famously said, not my will but yours be done. But nevertheless, Jesus Christ was and is true God, not just some mediating figure between God and creation. That is what this phrase, a key to understanding the whole creed, means. The point is stressed and driven home with a string of words, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Jesus was and is no less than God the Father. At the very best, this is what the Orthodox party was insisting on. Next comes begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father. Now, 
This is where the famous word homoousios is from. And you'll notice that this is the second time that the word begotten has been paired with an insistence that Jesus is related closely to the Father's, quote, substance. This is an interesting fact. As it is here in the Creed, the word begotten was often contrasted to the word made. Around the time of Nicaea, but interestingly not long before that, Orthodox writers became very sensitive to the difference between those two words, between begotten and made. They realized that talking about Jesus as made by the Father would diminish Jesus' status as God. It would make Jesus somehow lesser than and less God than the Father. And, of course, that just won't do. But from here on, the creed is a bit more generic and colorless. They still wanted to affirm core Christian beliefs, but because the controversy raged around the identity and exact nature of the Son, the rest of the creed is a bit bland. True and important, but bland nonetheless. The next big chunk reads, Through whom all things came into being, things in heaven and things on earth, who because of us men and because of our salvation came down, and became incarnate and became man, and suffered and rose again on the third day, and ascended to the heavens, and will come to judge the living and the dead, and in the Holy Spirit. There's not really a whole lot for me to say about these parts. Not in an episode about Nicaea, anyway. So let's skip to the anathemas. Anathema is a Greek word that means cursed. It's the word Paul used in Galatians 1.9 when he writes of the people who he accused of teaching heresy, quote, As I told you before, I say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel other than that which you received, let him be accursed, or let him be anathema. Paul essentially uses the word to designate a teaching, or a person doing a teaching, that goes beyond and contradicts the Christian gospel. If you find yourself under the anathema, that means you're no longer teaching and believing the Christian good news. At Nicaea, those who wrote and affirmed the creed not only tried to define what was true Christianity, they also got together and rejected what they thought was false Christianity. That's through the anathemas at the end. I'll read them again for you. But as for those who say, there was when he was not, and before being born he was not, and that he came into existence out of nothing, or who assert that the Son of God is of a different hypostasis or substance, or created, or is subject to alteration or change, these the Catholic and Apostolic Church anathematizes. There are three main points for you to notice about this section. First, notice that the church rejects those who say, there was when he was not, and before being born he was not. 
This is very close to something that Arius said in a letter to his bishop Alexander, who conveniently was the bishop of Alexandria. Let me read you Arius's exact words. And God, being the cause of all that happens, is absolutely alone without beginning. But the Son, begotten apart from time by the Father, and created and founded before the ages, was not in existence before his generation, but was begotten apart from time before all things. And he alone came into existence from the Father." Unquote. Did you catch that? Arius had said that the Son, quote, was not in existence before his generation, unquote. This is very, very close to the wording of the anathema, which says, before being born he was not. It's not exactly surprising, but this anathema is directly pointed against Arius and those who agreed with him. Second, the anathemas continue, saying, But as for those who say that he came into existence out of nothing, unquote. This is an important point. You may recall that I said earlier that the Arians insisted that same nature, or homoousios, language was too materialistic sounding. That it made it sound as if Jesus was an emanation from God, a little piece broken off of God. Some of them, hoping to avoid language that made it sound as if God had a body, said instead that Jesus was made, quote, out of nothing. And, here again, the creed rejects this statement. The Orthodox were unwilling to solve the problem of materialistic language by denigrating Jesus, by making Jesus less than fully God. And if Jesus was made out of nothing, just like creation was made out of nothing, that means that Jesus is really just another creature along with us. In any case, Jesus isn't God like God the Father. Third, the creed says, Quote, but as for those who say or who assert that the Son of God is of a different hypostasis or substance or created or is subject to alteration or change, I'm sure by now the beginning of that makes sense to you, the bit about the Son of God being a different substance or being created, but the last bit may need some explanation. In classical Christian theology, there was a basic assumption that God was a perfect, simple being. Now, it was agreed in ancient Greek philosophy that perfection implied changelessness. If something changes, it can either change for the better or for the worse. If something changes for the better, then it wasn't perfect in the first place. If something changes for the worse, then it's no longer perfect. So, a truly perfect thing will never change at all, since it, by definition, can't change for the better, and it won't ever change for the worse. Early Christians applied this reasoning to God, and so they all believed that God can't change. If God could change, then God wouldn't be a perfect being, which was unthinkable to ancient Christians and, you know, almost all Christians throughout history even till today. So, to say that the Son is, quote, subject to alteration or change, unquote, as the Creed quotes its opponents as saying, is to once again deny that Jesus is fully God like God the Father. 
Whatever we might say today about whether or not God can change, know that this anathema isn't about that per se, but about how divine Jesus is. Finally, the creed claims that it represents the decision of the entire church. It reads, quote, These the Catholic and Apostolic Church anathematizes. Now, if you listen to our podcast on Arius, you know this claim isn't quite so simple. Many church leaders felt rather uncomfortable about Nicaea's Creed, but if you want to know more about that, go listen to episode 5 in our main episodes. But regardless of what actually happened in history, the Creed of Nicaea claims to be representative of the entire Catholic, that is, universal, church, which derives from the Apostles. So, with that, I'll let you go for now. Like we said before, make sure to keep an eye out for our upcoming episode on Emperor Constantine, which we'll put out on March 1st. And if you enjoyed this and other episodes, please consider reviewing and rating us on iTunes. It really helps, more than you might think.